many of the teenagers today and or youth, I would even put myself into this bucket of really feeling a deep drive or need to have a really big impact in the world. And I think you can see this on social media too, people trying to get followers, trying to become influencers. And it's almost like a drive that can overtake somebody, I think. And one thing that Michelle said, which I really, really loved, which was that the person's work in front of them is to take the next step on their journey and their path. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Welcome to The Art of We. This is episode 37. I am so happy that all of you are here. Will is so happy that all of you are here. And today we're going to be talking about the downside of optimizing, or maybe it's more like the mentality of optimization. And before we get into that, I would love to invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear about topics that you're interested in hearing. Topics, questions, anything that you want to hear from us, go to kristavanderveer.com and reach us directly there, or just leave it in the review section on the podcast platform that's your favorite platform, and we'll find it there too. So this week, we've been navigating some challenges in our household, and one of them has been that, well, you've slowly, slowly, I mean, I don't know, you've gotten sick, you've been sick, you've, you've had this thing, and it's kind of been like a thing, and we don't get sick very often. Like, I think the last time you were sick, you had COVID back in, was it 2020, the summer of 2020? Yeah. Yep. And so now it's 2023 and neither of us have really had a moment where one of us is pretty sick. And fortunately you're doing better. I'm so grateful. At the same time, we had one of our dogs just seemed to not be feeling well. And then our other dog, I actually stepped on her little toe, which I felt horrible. So she's limping around and I'm kind of like, oh my God, like the whole family except for me is feeling not well. And I kind of got into this little moment of being like, something's wrong. What's wrong with us? And then I really woke up to being like, wait a minute, like what kind of mindset do I have such that thinking that us being in human form, our dogs being canine form, that we're not going to get sick or we shouldn't be getting sick. Like I actually think that it's a big part of being sentient or at least, you know, like having bodies on this planet. And I think that amongst the optimization conversation that you and I are so much in, Will, like I think that we want to be able to create the best kind of health and wellness that we can so that we can live in our values and contribute to the world. And I think in my own mentality, I've gotten to a place of like, if we get sick or somebody doesn't feel well, then something's wrong or somebody did something bad. And so you and I got into this conversation about the, the downside of the mindset of optimization. Yeah, we're living in a in a time and living with the kind of privilege where sickness and 
disease and injury is in a phase in our lives too, where the mindset can develop that we're invincible or we're not, what's normal is not to be limited in any particular way. Right. And that feeds into this compulsive optimization pattern that I think a lot of people can relate to who are listening, where if you're the kind of person who really geeks out on health optimization or sleep optimization or relationship optimization or life optimization, diet optimization, you know, physical optimization, any kind of optimization, spiritual optimization, then anything that goes against that starts to feel like it could feel like a threat or some kind of um, intrusion. And so that's what we really wanted to explore today is that dark side of the optimizer mentality. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. And I would say, so if you are listening and you're aware of the Enneagram and what it means, Will identifies as a three Enneagram. I identify as a nine. But the reason why I bring that up is because the three on the Enneagram seems to want to perform better and better and better and better. Is that an accurate way of, in a very short moment, describing the three on the Enneagram, Will? Well, I think the nickname, the performer, is applicable. Most of the threes that I know are hardcore into optimization, but I know other types that are too. Mm -hmm. I think that the trouble for the three, as I understand it, is sometimes you can't, if if you're uh, in maybe a low-functioning moment or as a low-functioning any type three, you might not be able to tell the difference between what's authentic and what's performance. Mm -hmm. But since performance is such a big issue for the three and the three feels lovable when he's performing well, then for sure there's a emphasis and a vulnerability there to get into this hyper-optimizer mentality. Well, and I bring it up because you shared the other morning of how in your mindset, often, and I've known this about you, but it was more explicit around this conversation of getting into trouble around attempting to optimize all the time, which is like, it seems like in your world, it's like, how do I optimize everything? Basically, like, it seems like the lens that you look through is really, how do I make this or do this better? And I have some of that, but to imagine living in a world where I'm looking everywhere to try to make it better. It feels a little bit stressful. When I was a kid, there was a television ad that just came to mind as you were talking about that. It was a company called BASF. I don't know what it stands for, but BASF's motto was, we make things better or something like that. (laughs) And I remember watching those advertisements and thinking, yeah, that's really cool. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that slogan. Interesting that you remember that. They made cassette tapes that I I remember making mixtapes on BASF cassettes back in the day. That's awesome. Well, even in our conversations, it's a lot like, oh, how do we optimize this? And one thing that I think we've been asking the question about since we heard it was when James Clear on an interview said something to the effect of, well, what are you optimizing for? Right. And I think that this is a really important question for us to answer and maybe those of you who are listening if you're like us and you try to, you know, you want to optimize and you want to wear the aura ring and you want to wear the heart rate monitor like Will does and you want to, you know, like 
do all the things that are like better, 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 better. It's like, for what? I love that question. What are we optimizing for? One of my favorite people to listen to on podcasts is Peter Atia. He just came out with a new book called Outlive, which I haven't read yet, but I am planning to because it sounds amazing. Peter Atia says that he's optimizing for being able to function in his 90s like a healthy, fit person in their early 70s. Mm. And I really like that because it's very specific. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's precise. And I think if you talk to Peter Atia, you probably get even more precise information underneath that headline of what a healthy 70-year-old does and feels and can do. I think what we're talking about when we talk about the dark side of optimization is this compulsivity around always having a better year, year year over year, or always getting a better score on your sleep device, or always progressing on your continuous glucose monitor, or having better blood work year over year. Well, yeah. And what happens if Peter Atia gets cancer? Hopefully not, or some sort of disease before he's 70. So he doesn't even have the opportunity to live into his goal. Right. Exactly. I guess my question is, how do we take into account our humanity and the things that we can't predict? And how do we hold those things when they come? Like me being surrounded by two hurt dogs and a sick husband. It's like not that big of a deal, really. But at but in the moment, it was like, oh my gosh, something's wrong. Are we okay? You know, and fortunately, I got the download that like, oh no, wait a minute. <laughs> We're like humans and they're canines and this is part of living. So how do we hold the intent and also be with what is in a way that honors the intelligence of what's actually happening versus what we want to be happening? That's all. Yeah. Well, I'm curious what your background in meditation and, you know, Zen Buddhism would, like, from that perspective, how would you answer the question about how do we hold these? How do we, basically what I'm hearing you say is how do we hold ambitious goals and roll with knowing that we're not in charge or that we're, we're not in control of the outcome? There are a lot of variables that are beyond our ability to influence even or predict. Mm -hmm. I guess when I listen deeply, what I come to is the opportunity of actually meeting the moment and whatever emotions that brings up, whatever disappointments or feelings of successes come up is what is our capacity to meet the moment and the importance of, in my experience, in my heart, holding an intention like Peter Atia is. Because without that, intention or that North Star, we might come across the goal anyway, but I believe maybe it's less likely that we would come across the goal. I don't know. How would you answer? How would you answer that? Well, I agree. I I think it's almost certain that you're not going to reach the goal if you don't know what the goal is, or you're not working toward what you're optimizing for. Mm -hmm. So I guess what's coming clear in this conversation is the middle way between two extremes. One extreme of I don't have any goals and I'm only present to the present moment and I respond or react as you may use the language of the present moment without any goal or plan on the one hand. And then on the other hand, being completely obsessed with the the goal or the outcome and having no presence or awareness of the the path or the way, you know, the present moments 
that occur on the way to the goal. Mm-hmm. I think in the middle way, ideally, I find myself, you know, when I feel balanced in my system, I am very cognizant of the goal, but I'm also very fluid with dancing with what's presented mm. on the way there. Mm. I think where I get stuck a lot is uh, I get too obsessed with keeping score on the way to the goal and it's tedious and there's not a lot of joy in obsessing about the fact that you're not there yet, missing the point of the abundance and the joy and the possibilities that are right in front of me, right in the moment. So before we take a quick break, I just want to say, so when you weighed yourself on the scale the other day, (laughs) you've been in the gym it's been almost a year. It's been a year and a half now since you've been really taking a serious commitment to working out and being sick. There's been a little, very, very, very small decline in the number of pounds that are on the scale. <laughs> stuff on it this week. And so, how do you relate to that when you're seeing a little bit of a backwards decline in this this little example here of just the all the movement you made towards gaining muscle and building strength, and then you see the scale is three or four pounds less than where you want it to be? Well, I work with my mind. I mean, the first thought that comes through, if you know, if I'm really honest with you, listener, <laughs> and you, Krista, <laughs> uh, the first thought is, oh, I've lost however many months of hard work to build strength and, and muscle. And then, you know, I credit my Buddhist background and work and the psychotherapy field to be able to recognize that thought really quickly and let it go and realize that I was coming off a night of sweating through the sheets and was pretty dehydrated and quite easy to lose, you know, five pounds of body weight and hydration on a night like that. So letting it go and examining the the negative thought and, you know, rewriting it as a rational response is a cognitive therapy technique that, you know, comes pretty automatically in my mind pretty quickly, which is good. Thanks for sharing. I would like to get to a place where the automatic thought is a positive thought, but that hasn't happened yet for me. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we can optimize that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break. And right when we come back, we're going to talk about another piece of the pie here around the dark side of things. We'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements, agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance. And now back to the episode. Okay, welcome back. I want to talk about another place where I think we can get into a little bit of darkness or stuckness around another word 
that is used a lot in our culture these days. We use it a lot even in our marketing couples who want to have an impact in the world, which is the word impact. And I think that there's a healthy desire to have an impact. And I think there's an unhealthy desire to have an impact. And I think there's a whole spectrum between those two. And I want to bring it up because I was listening to an interview between Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey around Michelle's book called The Light We Carry. I haven't read the book yet. I would like to. But what really struck me was the conversation about many of the teenagers today and or youth, I would even put myself into this bucket of really feeling a deep drive or need to have a really big impact in the world. And I think you can see this on social media too, people trying to get followers, trying to become influencers. And it's almost like a drive that can overtake somebody, I think. And one thing that Michelle said, which I really, really loved, which was that the person's work in front of them is to take the next step on their journey and their path. Whether that's if they're a teenager and it's to do homework that night, or if it's like me in my seat to take the next step in planning a podcast, but really to be the way I interpret it is in contact with oneself rather than trying to get way ahead of what's even possible for that person to do in the world. Like there's kids out there saying, I want to have X amount of followers. I want to have X amount of influence. And then and Michelle's like, well, but you don't, you don't have the platform and you don't have the power. So do the next thing that's right in front of you. And I just think that's really good medicine for me. I have a, the sense that for you, well, you have had a different relationship with impact, but I want to check that out with you. Well, I agree with you. That sounds like a really wise message to do the next step that's in front of you. It is, I think it's really related to this phenomenon of getting caught up in goals and, and lost and the dark side of comparing ourselves to where we think we should be, or maybe what we think other people are already doing that we would like to be doing. Right. That comparison thing. I think that I spent a lot of my life not creating goals that were big enough to scare me and inspire me. And it was only after I met you that my goals became something extraordinary beyond what I could imagine. I didn't dare to dream that big mm. before we became partners with each other. So if I'm just answering the question based on my own experience, I would say that it's important to dare to dream beyond the scope of your imagination, almost like that. And then there is a very wise path of just focusing on what's right in front of you. It's for some reason, the saying, the path is the goal that 12th century Dogen quote, Japanese Zen master Dogen has always stuck with me that kind of relates to this idea of like every single step you take is on the way. And so I think there's another place we can get stuck where we think that a certain step or a certain event or an unforeseen setback or a turn in the road is in the way of our unfolding or completion of our fulfillment of our mission. And it really helps me when I get caught in that to remember that every step is on the way and not in the way. Mm -hmm. And it's only the ego, I think, that makes the determination that something's in the way. Mm -hmm. 
It's certainly a whole different experience that we have when we think what's happening is in the way rather than on the way. Yeah, I mean, I can think about times in my life where I got caught in thinking that I was on the wrong path because it wasn't looking like what I thought it should look like, or I was supporting somebody else's vision, or XYZ, XYZ, XYZ. I mean, I, I get concerned about the people who listen to the hype about impact and contribution, and then they have, for example, a very sick parent. Knock on wood, our parents are super healthy, but the parent in that in the circumstance I'm talking about is like needing the child full time, let's just say, to care for them and support them. And the perspective that I want to hold for you and I will, and also invite people into when they get caught on the dark side of the word of impact, is to trust that, like you're saying, Will, it's part of the journey, but also that we are having a really important impact regardless of what it looks like. In this case of the parent, like the impact is extraordinary. It's huge to be able to care, be cared for by a child. And when you were sick this week, I was just thinking of like, okay, well, what would the world be like if Will didn't get well? And it wasn't like out of like, I was afraid that was going to happen. It was more like the places my mind goes of like future. And I really felt the deep honor of getting to be able to care for you in your life, in our lifetime, if you got sick, super sick. Like what, what an honor to give, to be able to care for you. And that might look very different from what my mind thinks it should be looking like if I'm hooked on this, having an impact in a particular type of way in the world. Yeah, it's like the tendency to, by the way, thank you for taking such good care of me. <laughs> I'm so well, I'm grateful. still learning how to do that. And if you ever <laughs> fall very sick, you can bet your bottom dollar that I'm going to be right there with you. I know you will be. Mm. And I'll be there for you too. Mm. The uh, point that you were making about, well, maybe I'm not having the kind of impact I want to be having in the world and maybe I'm taking care of a sick parent rather than building my social media following or whatever, right. Right? <laughs> right? whatever the form is. I'm not writing my book or I'm not doing this or whatever. And I think it's interesting to think about how we define impact and, you know, to go a little bit further beyond the scope of our assumptions about what our impact is. Like, for example, we're also interconnected and not just humans, but animals and plants. And I mean, everything is working together, right? Mm -hmm. So when I go out and I say, well, I did this, it's like, well, first of all, inside of a human skin bag, you know, there's human DNA, but there's 10x the amount of bacterial DNA from your microbiome inside of your body. So who's doing that thing, mm. right? I mean, first of all, there's that, which right. is like the whole concept of a human as a bus carrying organisms around. Um <laughs> So there's that. Yeah. But then there's also all the other things that are happening, like caring for that elderly parent and expressing that compassion and that care for that person who gave you so much for you to become who you are and the impact of that and people witnessing that, you know, just that care and that connection could be a much bigger impact in the world than whatever the mm. gnashing of the teeth and the 
dark side of optimization with trying to build your social media empire. Right. And I think that might be one of the reasons why the Dalai Lama is so focused on, you know, my religion is kindness. And the best thing you can ever do with your life, really, is to just be kind to the people around you. I love this one interview. I, I keep thinking about it of a doctor was asking him, like, how do we fix alcoholism? And the Dalai Lama laughed and said, I have no idea. Like, it's way too complicated. Mm. You know, just be nice to the people around you. Mm. And there's something just refreshingly simple about kind of relaxing into the trust, really, in the universe that we have a part to play, but it's a, probably a lot smaller than we make it out to be. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. A lot smaller. Yeah. And all of this binary, good and bad, happy and sad, success and failure, mm -hmm. this binary stuff that goes on in our monkey mind, in our, in our ego, makes a big drama about the I. And is the I good or bad or successful or failing? And I find a lot of relief in myself when I relax back into the bigger picture of like, yeah, I'm here in the tapestry of, of life and I'm going to do my best which is going to include a lot of questionable <laughs> things, but it's not up to me, ultimately, what these outcomes are that I care about. Yeah, and I'll just conclude this with the perspective that we both share and that also has turned into a vow, which is that we can do more than I can. And when you say, I did this thing, I think what you're pointing to besides the gut bacteria, in addition to that is, that we all influence each other. We're all in part responsible for each other's successes and each other's failures. And the beauty, like you're saying, of just trusting that our path is correct. And if we're in a moment where it's like, like I was, like, why am I supporting somebody else's mission? When I look back, I'm like, oh, that was totally right on my path, doing that. Hmm. And I learned so much from those many years of supporting other people's visions that I wouldn't want to change it. But I think I would have been in a lot less suffering and actually be able to give more if I was able to release that perspective that I'm not having the kind of impact I should be having or this should be different. I think I actually would have contributed a lot more. Well, before we wrap up today, we want to leave you with a question for consideration, which is, where in your life do you notice yourself in conflict with where you are on the way to you achieving your goals? So it's a question about this topic of optimization and inviting you to get curious about where you get stuck on the path. And maybe you could say the question a little more clearly than I can, Krista. How would you summarize <laughs> it? Well, another way to look at it is, are you or relating to optimization or impact from any of this more, what we're calling the dark side? And if so, it feels like a really great opportunity to do some investigation. And as always, please let us know what you found out in your investigation. Leave us a comment. <laughs> you can do that in a review on your favorite podcast platform, or you can contact us directly, as Krista mentioned at the beginning of the show at our website, kristavandeveer.com. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. See ya. 
Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow this show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If this show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We.